Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I had a super proud dad moment the other night. Uh, We were eating dinner around our family table as we do each night. And I don't know what got into me, but I started telling some good dad jokes. All right? And not just any old dad jokes off the internet, just straight from my mind to my children in that moment. I know, you want to hear one, right? Okay, so here it was. I said to them, all right, kids, what's the smartest part of your body? Any takers? Your brain? No. Buddy, you were there, not brain. That's a good answer, though. (laughs) Anybody else? Your nose. Your nose? Because it knows stuff? Ah. See, it was so good that my daughter Hazel, she started, she started chuckling like crazy, and she said, Dad, that makes perfect sense. And then, oh, I didn't even think about that. Hold on, that is funny. Because then I said, and dollars. No? Come on, guys. Sense and dollars? It makes sense and dollars? Okay, anyway, so today we're talking about the body, right? There, was, I, there were a whole bunch of body jokes, all right? Like, what's the best name for a bald guy? Harry, right? I mean, that's an easy one. So here we go. All right, body. How well do you know your body? I'm going to give you a pop quiz. Ready? Anatomy 101. Point to your nose. We just talked about it. Everybody point to your nose. Hey, smart people. See, you know. All right, uh, place your hand on your knee. This is not Simon Says. This is an anatomy quiz, all right? Grab your ear. Excellent. All right, so you seem to know your body quite well. This is wonderful. But let's make it a little bit harder. Uh, how many bones are in the human body? We've got some doctors. Somebody knows? Anybody know? 206. There you go. 206 bones in the body. How about, how about muscles? You know how many muscles? Anybody want to take a guess? Over 600. Yeah, nobody actually knows how many, but over 600. All right, point to your metatarsals. Anybody know? Yeah, just say that you're right, okay? It's uh, it's the bones in your feet. All right, now this is is the one. This is the one. All of you are going to know this. Uh, Point to your lacrimal punctum. Your lacrimal punctum. The lacrimal punctum, come on, you don't know your own body? You are your body, you don't know this? The lacrimal punctum, it's that little hole in your eyelid. You've got one down here and one on the upper eyelid. It's not where the tears come out, it's where the extra tears go and they funnel into your body, back into the lacrimal sacs and then get pushed back out into your body. Come on, guys, this is your body. You don't know anything about it. This is crazy. Isn't it crazy to think about the uniqueness an incredible miracle that is the body, how intertwined and networked it all is, yet how little we actually know about ourselves. Today in our reading from 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uses the human body as an image for what the church ought to look like. And he says that the church is the body of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul writes, 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We are one body in Christ. How do you become a member of this body of Christ? Paul says those who have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ are part of the body of Christ. So if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you are part of the body. God chose you, he appointed you, he selected you, he made you, he redeemed you, he has gathered you, you are part of the body. At whose discretion? God's. You're part of the body because God wants you to be part of the body. And what does this mean? It's a simple image. I hope you understand, but every member, every piece, every part of the body has a given function. Even if it is not well known, does not make it unimportant. Some of the least uh, known parts of your body are the most important for you. And just because a part of the body is well known does not make it more important. Now, it is important for me to note again, as we have every week in this study of 1 Corinthians, that the church in Corinth was a divided church. They were self-centered people, each looking out for themselves, each wanting what they wanted. So Paul is speaking to a divided congregation, and this is at play throughout the letter. And this is why he uses the image of the body as a unifying image for what their purpose is as the church. See, some people thought of themselves as inferior members of the body. Some thought that they were not all that qualified to be part of the body. And on the other extreme, some people were arrogant and prideful about their position and power in the body. So Paul has to address both of these problems, those who feel inferior and those who feel and act arrogantly. So on the one hand, pun intended, on the one hand, all right, see, you guys got to stay with me. On the one hand, on the one hand, some people thought of themselves as inferior. And this is what Paul is addressing in verses 14 through 17. He's telling people, if how can you say that you are not part of this body? How can the foot say, I don't need the rest of the body or I'm not part of the body? If the foot could run away from the body, what good would a foot be? Not much good. And then the body would be limping around. The foot needs the body and the foot plays an integral part in the body. Some people thought little of themselves in this body of Christ. It could be because of a lack of confidence it could be because of their own uh, inexperience, or it could also be because people were treating them inferior and the arrogant were pushing them out. So this is one problem. Some people feel inferior, and on the other hand, people were being arrogant. For those of you in this body, if you are feeling at some point, even now, like you are inferior or that your role is somehow small or non-important, I tell you today, it is. It is. God has chosen you, baptized you as his very own child to be part of this body. You are valuable, you have matter, and you have worth. 
and you are loved in this body. On the other hand, in the body of Christ, in Corinth in particular, there were some who were acting arrogantly. And this is the group that Paul is addressing in verses 21 through 26. Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. See, the eye, if the eye is just thinking about the the eye's own life, the eye might say to the hand, we have nothing in common. Who are you? I don't have any need of you. Now, while the eye may have no need of the hand, the body needs the hand. And so both are important. And Paul is very clear here to say that God is the one who has composed this body. He has baptized the members into the body. He makes them his very own. It is God's choice who is in the body, what those members are, what they do, what their value is, and how they are connected to one another. God determines that. Some people struggled with feeling inferior, and some were arrogant and wanted to cut members of the body off. Speaking from my own heart and my sinful nature and my experience, I'm going to let you into the window of my own darkness in my heart because I, throughout my life, have wrestled with the latter one. Oftentimes finding myself saying, man, this body, whatever the body is, would be so much better if that person were not part of it. This is a dark place in my own heart and something I've wrestled with and prayed about over and over again, but I have so many memories throughout life, even in childhood, throughout school, being in group projects where there was that one kid and you would just, I I never said it out loud, thanks be to God, but I would think it in my mind, if that kid just were not part of this group project, things would be so much better. But then I would go to the next group project or the next band or the next uh, team of sports that I was on and there was always (laughs) that person, not the same person, another person that just rubbed me the wrong way and I would find myself saying, man, if that person weren't part of this body, things would be so much better. I know it's dark and I'm confessing the reality that I'm a sinner But many of you wrestle with this too, and it has been an ongoing, humbling experience for me throughout my life, and I have realized throughout time, because even as an adult, that has not gone away. I join different organizations, different boards, and I go, man, this experience would be so much better if that person weren't here. And yet there's always that person. Why? I would say for two reasons. One, to humble me, and two, to make me and that other person, more than we can be on our own. It's just like marriage, honestly. I had a wedding here yesterday, uh, and I actually preached on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, which is the chapter after this one, Uh, and it's all right in context, sometimes called the great love chapter, but it comes right after this. It's all about unity in the body of Christ. And and at that wedding, we, we talked about love, but we talked about unity, And with that couple and with every couple that I meet with prior to their marriage, I always do pre-marriage counseling. And I always use this image with a a husband and wife before they get married that uh, in, in a marriage, that husband and wife are like two gears of a machine. Two gears of a machine that need one another for this machine to work. 
If you have one gear by itself, what good is one gear? Well, I guess some machines have one gear, maybe, or you could turn the gear into a wheel or a decoration. It has some sort of value, but put two gears together and the machine works. But what does that machine need to do? It needs to fit together. And so in marriages, by God's unique design, (laughs) what does he do? He puts somebody with us in life to compliment us, not to say, hey, you look nice today, but to compliment with all ease, you know, to, to, uh, to fit together in opposite ways. And they need each one for the other. Why? To make the one more than it can be on its own. Those of you who are married, you know what this is like, right? If, if you're like any of the couples that I've married or my own marriage, one of you is tidy and one of you is not so tidy. One of you is always on time and the other one is always late, right? Some of you are jabbing each other in the ribs right now, right? Uh, one of you squeezes the toothpaste, one of you rolls it. One of you puts the toilet paper on this way and one puts it on that way. One of you is a saver, the other's a spender. One of you is a free spirit, the other one's a nerd. One of you is an extrovert, the other's an introvert. You get it, right? Why does God do this to us? <laughs> to make us more than we can be on our own. So I always tell those couples in pre-marriage counseling, I always, I always say, and this is not gender specific, it goes back and forth, but I always say, we'll use the bride, for example. I say to the bride, just so you know, the fact that your soon-to-be husband is not tidy, and you are, that's God's gift to you. <laughs> and she looks at me with disdain. <laughs> and then I say, and vice versa, your wife's tidiness is God's gift to you. Not that there isn't room to meet in the middle. That's exactly what the gears of the machine do. They find that they need one another and they balance one another out. And the thing that keeps the gears together, the oil in the machine, the lubricant, is the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. What I have found out in all of this, in those group experiences where I've wanted to write people off, and even in my own marriage, the humbling experience that I've had and what I've learned is that the world does not need more errands. <laughs> What Aaron needs is to learn and understand and appreciate the reality and the uniqueness of people who are not like him. So this is how it is in groups but in marriage. And think about those of you who are married. Think about the intricacies and the challenges of bringing just two people together. Now multiply that by a lot, like billions and billions, and you get the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Unique, cross-cultural, cross-ages, cross-everything is the body of Christ, incredibly intertwined, networked, and each member needed. Even when we don't know who the other parts of the body are, if they are baptized into Christ, the body needs them, for we are one body. And so it is in our world today. I don't need to point out this reality to you. You know it, that our world is a divided world. It always has been a divided world. 
But I think in this last year, uh, a lot of those divisions have come right to the surface. It, is very, it has become very easy to point out differences and whose side is yours and whose side is not yours. And so often in the world, and, and just hear me out, Christian people, we should not have any expectation that the world would operate the way that God has called the church to operate. So what we're talking about here is the church and those who've been baptized in the name of Christ, but we also live in this world. And so we live in this world as Christian people. But in this world, so often, and you hear the messaging that it would just be better if all the people on the other side were either cut off of the body and sent somewhere else, or if they just became like me. And people take this, uh, this on both sides, right? So we heard it during the political cycle. Many people thought, I don't know, if you're on the Republican side, many people thought, all those Democrats just need to vote Republican and things will be better. Or they think all those Democrats just need to be cut off and thrown away. When this whole COVID thing started, we saw it. I think the first division that existed was whether or not you were afraid or whether or not you thought this thing was fake. And that was just something that you got to kind of keep to yourself and wrestle with on your own. But from there, it is trans, trans, uh, trans uh, I don't know what the word is, it has kind of kept, uh, kept going and transpired that, you know, take the, take the mask issue, and I'm not going way down the line, I'm just pointing out an, uh, an evident division, and what I hear in the messaging in the world is that all of a sudden you've got people who now you think you know who they are, what they believe, and whether or not they are with you or against you. And now the same thing is playing out when it comes to the vaccination. Other uh, People will think, man, everybody that's not vaccinated needs to be kicked out and thrown away, or everybody that is needs to be welcomed or kicked off and thrown away. You hear it. You know it. People in the body of Christ, that stuff has no spot, no place in the body of Christ. The world, it can talk that way, but not the body of Christ. We need one another. Think about that. Just as you as spouses, one of you is tidy, one is not. <laughs> you need each other. We need one another. From all stripes, all languages, all nations, all tongues, the body of Christ needs one another. You need other people who are different than you. Just think of it. If you cut off your ear and throw it away, what good does that solve? The ear shrivels up and dies and you can't hear. Right? So it is in the body of Christ. You need other people. There's a lot of arrogance in this world, and I find myself to be guilty of it. I've already confessed that to you. But just think of it. We don't even know how our own bodies work. I started this out by proving that point. You did not know you had a lacrimal punctum, right? You did not know that. And it's your body. You, you are your body. You live in your body. You didn't know that about your body. How can we be so arrogant to think that somebody who serves a different kind of purpose or has a different kind of worldview that has been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ has no value. Every part, every member is valuable. Every part is necessary. Why? To make us more than we can be on our own. And this body that we've spent so much time talking about, I have to stress the fact that this is the body of Christ that we're speaking about. Christ's body. Christ's body. He has chosen you, appointed you, made you, gathered you by the power of his spirit in his name. And who is the head? Christ. <laughs> he is the head. And what does the head do? The head controls everything. 
The head controls everything, even those little muscles, those little twitches, all that stuff going on in your body, down in your toes that you have no idea about. The head has something to do with that. It all comes and is connected to the head. So if you don't have the head, what are you? Dead. But with the head, what are you? Alive. Where? In Christ. Alive in Christ. That's who we are. Alive in Christ. That's who we are. And this kind of life, it's a different kind of life. It is not the life that this world is speaking of. You better know the different kind of messaging the world gives you. That is not the message of Christ. The message of Christ is that you are valuable. So are the people who are different than you. You all matter. Those who have been baptized into Christ matter. So let us live humble lives, helping together and even hurting together because we are the body of Christ. Let us seek to understand one another, to value one another, always knowing that we have value and purpose, and so does everybody else, in the name and in the body of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.